how's that? That's we are awesome. back. January. It, well, we're recording on January third here. This will. Uh, this episode will release on January fifth, but because it's January third, twenty twenty one. Wanted to send out uh, happy birthday to Professor Tolkien, who would have turned, I think, is uh, one hundred twenty nine years old today. Would have. <laughs> would have. Would have. Could have. Should have. <laughs> So, you know, cups up for Professor yep. Tolkien. Prost. Yeah. Prost. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, what are we on? We are in, uh, we are in, technically we're in season four. Oh, uh, no, that was, I was waiting for you to go season three. Season three, episode, episode 11. <laughs> <laughs> No, we are starting up season three now. This is our first episode of season three. Season uh, four. Season four. No, oh I my did gosh. it already. I already did Jeez, it. Jeez, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a running start. We should Aww. stop, restart. <laughs> Don't you dare keep this. <laughs> issue or uh, issue. Episode total number 39. We're getting up there. We're getting there. And Like an adolescent... Just yeah. trying to climb out of puberty. Right. <laughs> Keep on moving up, moving up. Mm-hmm. So here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do, emphasis on try. Yep. We, we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. <sighs> as difficult as that may seem mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the nonsensical nature <clears throat> of our world right now. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about the nonsense in just a second. Yay! Oh yeah, yeah. Our mission, our mission here at the Fusion Underground, is to educate people to become more, to become critical thinkers, so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined in the virtual studio by the wonderful, the the one and only Jason Moret. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good, brother. Did you have a good New Year's? Um, it was a very odd New Year's. So, we have a little family tradition in our house we i get a bunch of um i guess junk food if you will like i'll okay. make um hot wings and we've done like potato skins and taquitos and all that kind of junky stuff that you throw in the oven and it's really really bad for you mm-hmm. we get that and then i'll even make like fruit and veggie trays and we just do appetizers and chips and dips and we just pig out all night long i mean that's just kind of what we do um watch a movie or two and stay up well, we did all the junk food and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't pick out all night long because uh, the kids were bathed and sent to bed at nine. And I think my wife and I were in bed by 930. Yeah, I was asleep by 10. I, I flipped over and, and caught a glimpse of Times Square. And I was like, that is the most pathetic, sad, disturbing, unnatural thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and it I'm really was. It was, it was bizarre. And to think that there's a possibility that this is this bullshit is going to be the quote unquote new norm. Um, and that's what all my kids are ever going to know. It's disgusting. Mm. And I refuse to let that happen. I refuse to believe that this is norm. I, I'm no, <clears throat> not, not going to go that route. Yeah. Well, so how was your new year's? That was fine. Like I said, I was in bed by 10. Yeah. I was sleeping. Yeah. I didn't care. No, don't care. No. I was really impressed with everybody who told me prior to, mm-hmm. like, you know, hope you have a good New Year's. You know what? 
hopefully 2021, it's all going to be better. I'm like, what the hell makes you think that you're going to go to sleep on the 31st and then like clockwork, like magic, everything's right. just going to be better the it's next like, day. Are you? No, it still smells you, the same. Yeah. <laughs> are you smoking dope, man? What's wrong with you? Good God. <laughs> you know, I was, um, before we get into this whole thing, by the way, we're, we've got, we've got a couple of uh, nonsense stories that we're going to fill you in on. I haven't even mentioned them to you, so uh, this should be a surprise to you. You never uh, mention any of this stuff to me. Every <laughs> once in a while, there like be, might be one thing that I might mention to you. But okay, yeah, on, right. on average, I don't mention it because I want your surprise. You want my genuine, unbiased, unfiltered reaction. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, definitely. Um, but the, the main gist of our conversation tonight, we're going to be talking about freedom and that's a big, that's a big topic. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to get into that. We'll get into that. We'll talk about a little bit about that, but, um, you know, it was really interesting when you were talking about the new normal and, and, and all Mm -hmm. of that. Well, I hadn't seen my dad since before Christmas, um, and he didn't come over for Christmas. Uh, there was some other family in town and he was, he made all kinds of other arrangements and plans. And I was like, well, you go have fun. I'll catch up with you later. So today I actually went to see him, mm. take him his Christmas present that I got him. And, you know, I'm thinking normally my dad and I, we get together and we have these big, long conversations about things. And in the past we would go, you know, we get, we get dinner or lunch sure. or something, or we just go have coffee somewhere. And we'd sit, you know, and talk at a coffee shop for several hours. But uh, in this COVID world, you can't do that because everything's shut down. Even the places that are open, they're not necessarily open for people to come in and sit. Mm. Like coffee shops, they're not open for you to just come in and hang out anymore. At least down here in Phoenix, they're not. So I thought, well, I don't know. What the hell are you going to do? So I grabbed a couple of chairs and, and picked them up. We went and got coffee at Starbucks or the drive-through. Like you, it's the only thing you can do. But then we went to the cemetery, and we oh, sat. We, we we actually went and you know visited my grandparents, um, where they where they're at rest, and we just sat down and hung out for like four hours. Had coffee wow. and just talked, and it was actually great. It's the second time we've done that. Um, a few months prior, I went and got lunch, got some sandwiches and stuff, and we went. And just hung out at the gravesite, and just we didn't nec- we didn't talk necessarily about them, you know, or family. We just talked about anything else that we would have talked about. Huh. It was actually really interesting today when I was driving in <clears throat> uh, into the cemetery, and there were there were tons of families there, um, and they brought tables and chairs and um, yeah, all kinds of food they had these you know huge food spreads laid out and you know people have been there all day just wow. hanging out and the wow. the whole cemetery was just completely decorated um whole christmas trees had been erected like fake christmas trees decorations every you know ornaments all this kind of stuff and i wanted to take pictures and but then i forgot to pull my camera out on the way out i thought well, i'll grab some pictures on, on the way out and i forgot um, but just the sheer number of people that were there, like you could see all of the families that were gathering, just gathering to hang out. Cause what else are you going to do? Um, oh. it's actually kind of interesting. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing that. I thought, you know, this is kind of cool, you know? Um, 
the only problem is, is there's no, there are no bathrooms at the, at the cemetery. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> you know? that's an issue. Everybody so, passed the bucket, you know? <laughs> well, my, my, my dad was, you know, he gets up and he's like, I gotta, he's like, I gotta take a whiz. I'm like, well, where are you going to go? He's like, I'm just going to go right over here by this tree. You oh know, and he just go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god! And he's like, what? He's like, and you know, and he's like looking down. And he's like, you know, Matt Matthew or something. He's like, hey, you know, Matthew, you understand? Don't you? Matthew knows. He he gets it. He's not he's not so concerned about it, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, it was great. It was great. Your your dad and I need to hang out more. That's fun. I but could was, just you picture know, you just like looking around, like, oh my God, who's is anybody looking? Is <laughs> of anybody course. Seeing? I was like, oh no. Oh, no. What do I do? Do I stop him? I mean, uh -huh. you can't stop him. I mean, once once you start going, you yeah. can't <laughs> right. You can't stop. You know. But you, you know, sitting there today in the cemetery, and I thought, well, this is actually really nice. My grandparents would love this. Hmm. You know, they were just hanging out, you know, by their, you know, they're right there. At their, you know, we're at their grave and we're just having a comment. We're just hanging out. We're just, you know, it's you no know, different than going to a park. It's, it's interesting. So, okay. You're, you're talking about sitting at essentially a park uh -huh. and having conversation and hanging out with your old man. Yeah. And um, I I've been to quite a few cemeteries and most of them are absolutely lavish and some and meticulously maintained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and and there's i've seen benches and things like that for people to sit and, and just hang out mm -hmm. and i can tell you that i mean on this there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and i think i can speak for at least 80 percent of the american public to say there's not a chance in hell i would do that <laughs> well, why not explain to me i uh, no 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 like I said, there's no reason for me to say that's crazy, that's wrong, that's weird, it's icky, it's I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. But I think I can honestly also say at least 80% of our listening audience is like, no, that's not right, dude, that's weird. Yeah. that's bizarre. <laughs> you, you go, you, you know, say hi, love you, miss you, miss you. Blah, and then blah, leave. Blah. You say your thing. I've even gone and actually like scrubbed the headstones and clean mm -hmm. it off just, you know, make it look nice and like, all right, I love you. I got to go and get and roll. And then you just go and you right. go. You're there like a couple minutes. You know, time's variable, but not. But not hours. You're not definitely there. Definitely under the hour <laughs> mark by a fair margin, we'll say. And I, I think, again, that's probably most people. Mm -hmm. oh, we were there three or four hours. I'm, that's really cool and really weird at the yeah. same time. And, I, and all of the families, all of the families that were there, you know, there were several different families. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and when I say families, I'm not just saying three or four. I'm literally talking like 20 people. And and they have all their their lawn chairs and their tables are set up and they've got all the, you know, the food and, and they're tailgating. It's like a tailgating party right there, <laughs> right? And um, of course, all of the families there, are they're all Hispanic. Okay. You know, uh, and it, and so, you know, here we are, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, here with the familia here and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, you know, and I wonder if it's kind of, if it goes back to, you know, the, it's really popular in Mexico, which is Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's a holiday where you, you know, in Mexico, they, they celebrate the holiday in cemeteries for crying right. out loud. Right. 
So I think there's, at least in the Hispanic community here, it's not that strange, hmm. you know, it's just not that odd, but I loved it. I loved seeing everybody, you know, the different families as we drove by and the, I mean, I was, I think I was more impressed with how decorated the cemetery was. Yeah. I've seen a lot of cemeteries that are actually very festive and I know that mm. again, that almost sounds oxymoronic. Yeah. It but, seems uh, weird, but it does. It yeah. does. But you know, I don't know. Why not? I mean, we see that a lot for, um, you know, like Veterans Day and right. um, especially I, I would say like Fourth of July and things like that. I've seen cemeteries decorated with the red, white and blue yeah, and Memorial Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I guess I don't see why that should shock me for any mm -hmm. of the other holidays. And you know what? If you're going to have a large family gathering <clears throat> that you can't do in your house and the parks are being, you know, under, um, you know, you got armed guards out there telling you mm -hmm. how close you can be under heck right. yeah why not go to the cemetery that's kind of yeah. that's that's ba yeah. break out the spread yeah pop on the uh the mariachi music and mm -hmm. uh go visit nana and tata and say what's up yeah. and, uh, everybody party right and what was interesting is we were sitting there and and i noticed i could smell there was a little bit of wind <laughs> <laughs> but i could smell the smell of flowers Almost oh, like okay. it was like it was springtime. That's how many flowers were brought by there. people to the cemetery and decorated all over the place. It smelled like springtime with all wow. with the scent of all of the flowers that were there. And there, the only flowers were by people who brought stuff. It's not sure. like there were, you know, I mean there are trees and everything in the cemetery, but there are no flowers except for yeah. those that people brought. So, but the fact that there were so many, I mean the fact that I could actually smell the flowers. Uh, on the breeze is just a testament to the number of flowers that were actually present in the in the cemetery at the time. So it's kind That's of cool. pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about some of these um, in stupid news, shall we? Great. You'll I'm excited. A, you'll get a kick out of this. So every every once in a while, you know, the <clears throat> United States military they do these studies. Um, and they look at, they do these kind of social studies to see how, you know, prepared the country might be for certain things. Sure. Um, there was a recent study that was done by the military to gauge uh, recruitment. Okay. And <clears throat> um, the findings of this particular study, or the conclusion is that America's youth are too fat, or in other cases, too dumb to join the military. Agreed. <clears throat> this report warns that over 70%, over 70% of young Americans <clears throat> between the ages of 17 and 24 cannot make it into military ranks because they are either too poorly educated, too overweight, <clears throat> or have a history of crime or substance abuse. That is unfortunately... That's, ter that's terrifyingly it's ter shocking. It's terrifying not shocking that's the disgusting part well, about the yeah. whole damn thing i should be shocked that 70 percent of our youth and we're talking about under 18 who are going to come up for enlistment age um are uneducated or in or ill properly educated and i don't think we want to get into an uh another discussion on the 
um, fallacies of our education system. We, we could do that for another three episodes. We've done that enough. So that does not shock me. Um, that our under 18 age youth are fat or obese or that part doesn't out that part of doesn't shape. shock me yeah that part doesn't shock me at all. that doesn't shock me either now do i think everybody's fat no do i think that most people do not regularly exercise if i said run how far could you go probably about half a block if you're lucky before you're winded and exhausted <clears throat> yeah but you and i fall outside of the 17 to 24 category yeah, no, it's <laughs> true. Know. I'm not talking about us, but I, I mean, even our, even our youth, we well, don't yeah, that's true. exercise anymore. We don't get out anymore. Right. We're glued to our TV. We're glued to our phone. We're glued to our computer. And most of the exercise that any of our youth ever get right now is at school. And oh, guess what? We close our freaking schools down. Now, keep in mind, and we're eliminating physical education from all right. of our school systems and everything as well, because it's non-essential. Well, that was one of the that was one of the uh, the warnings is that based on COVID with everybody secluding at home, very few people are getting out. Of course, all uh, types of uh, sports activities and things have been shut down. Um, you even have summer camps and such, which shut yep. down. So Kids couldn't even go and spend a couple of weeks at summer camp in, you know, canoeing or camping, hiking, et cetera, doing all that kind of stuff. They weren't able to do that. Um, but I think what bothers me, so before I get into this other part, um, the, you know, there, there's this, there's this concept or this belief. It's like, well, who cares if you're out of shape? You're going to go into, you're going to join boot camp, and they're going to whip you into shape, but you have to be at a certain level of physical right. fitness before you can go into boot camp because they don't want you dying of a heart attack when you get there. Yeah. So yeah. they're not even capable of joining. And what's what's even crazier is, it, according to this report, fewer than 30% of young people are eligible to serve in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, the Marine Corps has much, much higher physical requirements, okay? Uh, but it has the lowest intelligence scores. <laughs> yes. Okay. Most most of the time, and, and there are this for those who are unaware, there's this thing called the ASVAB. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery Exam that you have to take, and the ASVAB doesn't really it doesn't measure your intelligence per se. It just measures your cognitive thinking and your general know how about certain types of skills to try to figure out where to place you. Essentially, the youth, essentially what they're saying is most people are too dumb to even place on the ASVAB. Now, you know, the Air Force has the highest ASVAB rating. So you have to have a high score in order to get into the Air Force. Second beneath that is, is the Navy. And then about midway is the Army. And then at the very bottom, is, is the Marine Corps. And it's like, I don't know the exact numbers, but if you were to think of it like a, a zero to a hundred scale, like you need a 20 or, you know, if you get like less than a 20, then the only thing you qualify for is the Marines. But at some point you're too stupid, even for the Marine Corps. Let that sink in for a minute. Like, you, you know, when I was in high school and, and, you know, I, when I went into the Navy and all of that, there was at least this you know, you might not be smart enough to get into the Air Force or the Navy, but you were at least smart enough to get into the Marine Corps. 
Can you imagine if you're not even smart enough to get into the Marines? How, how dumb are, do you have to be to not make it into the Marine Corps? Right. No, I know. I, I remember I took the ASVAB. Actually, I got talked into taking the ASVAB. I didn't even know what the heck it was at the time. It's but a crazy said, test. It's, it's, a very, it's a very unique test. And it's not I'll hard. No, it's not necessarily hard. It's, it's uh, the best way I could say it. It's, it's common sense. A lot of it is common sense stuff. Um, with it, rational thinking, mm-hmm. I think, is what it really is. Is kind and, of d- and more down. from an applicability standpoint. Right, right. It's it's very situational. That I mean, most of the questions in there are situations. You know, um, and it's you know, I was told it, it's a good uh, it's a good way for you to practice uh, before you take your PSAT and then your SAT. I was like, oh, all right, well, I, I'm going to have to take those, so I might as well get some practice in. I didn't know anything about it, and they said, well, I'm going in to take this test. Come on, you come with me. I'm like, no, I don't want to go and do no dang test. What's wrong with you? So I got done, and then next thing you know, I had every branch of the military. I had recruiters stopping by my door what? for weeks trying to talk me into various branches of the military, every right. single one. I had to go actually ask, what the heck is the Coast Guard? I don't even know what that is. Part of the Um, Navy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Air Force, Navy, Army. Actually, the Army didn't come out, but the Marines did multiple times. I mean, everybody was Well, the Marines, usually if they see somebody who's, you know, has a decent amount of substance between their ears, they're like, come come into the Marine Corps. (laughs) Oh, my God, we need you bad. (laughs) I mean, there there are, I, I can't remember. It's been so long since I took the ASVAB. There might be a few sort of, American history kind of questions on there. But, you know, there are whole sections related to, um, you know, how related to like circuitry, how circuitry works, or there's some questions related to chemical compositions, right? Um, There are also, there's like, there was a whole section on math, but it wasn't like solving algebraic problems. It was a timed section. It was like 15 minutes or maybe not even that much. It might might be like five minutes, like five minutes and do as many as answer as many as you could, as you can. Yeah. And they're literally the literally, the questions are literally like two plus three or five times four. Mm -hmm. And, and it's very, very simple arithmetic problems. Um, and you're just trying to do as many as you can, because what ends up happening is your mind get gets taxed Mm -hmm. with the stress of the time and just trying to do it very quickly. And, and they even tell you there's not enough questions for you to get all of them done. Um, you know, maybe a few savants or something have in the past, but those are outliers. It's designed just to see how many you can get accomplished in that certain amount of time. Um, but if you're failing on that, that means you can't even, you can't even do, I mean, there used to, we used to joke saying that, you know, you had to get a, I think a minimum score of 10, let's say it's 10%. You had to get a minimum score of 10%, 10 on the ASVAB to make it into the Marines. And we used to joke saying, well, you got 20 points just filling in your name. Right. You know, <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, what concerns me is now we have more than 70% of our youth are too dumb to even go into the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's frightening. It's frightening. Let alone the other and, branches. And yet, not shocking. That's disgusting part. Yeah. And it is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting because we've allowed ourselves to get to this point where that's what we have. Right. 
And that's what's going to be eventually leading this country and leading everyone else. Hell, look at AOC up there. I mean, you want to talk about the, right. the dumbest among the group actually speaking the loudest and making change? Great. That's who we got. Yeah. And it, we have only ourselves to blame. And the more we put up with this and the more we allow for it and the more we continue to let this shit happen, the worse we're going to get. Yeah. And what's interesting, what I like about the ASVAB as an exam is as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a test to sort of gauge the applicability of your knowledge. Um, whereas a lot of other exams, for example, like the SATs mm -hmm. um, uh, there or the ACTs are designed to test you did not the, the accumulation of your knowledge. How much have, have you retained? How much of the facts have you retained throughout your education up through high school? Whereas the ASVAB is more like, okay, you've learned some things about chemistry, you've learned things in shop class and things about how engines work, for example, and now you have to apply them. And so the questions present problems, like is which circuit is busted on this on the circuit board, right? And, well, it, and it sort of kind of gauges you and makes you take the knowledge that you have and put it in a way that's functional. And I right. think that's what I like about the, the ASVAB, um, but our student our kids are too dumb to even pass it well and it's in the name you know it's it's the vocational aptitude Correct. battery Correct. so really what what the intention i think behind that or at least my understanding of it the armed services they go okay we need x amount of professionals in these branches of our military right so they send out a basically an aptitude test to see who amongst our <laughs> our youth are actually fit for these vocations that we need people in and right. then say, okay, uh, Jason and Lucy and Jose and Jill and Jane, we need them to be our engineers in the right. Navy because they scored really high in this particular area. And that's what we need over here. You know, this, these other, you know, 300 people, they look like they could ha have the, the testicular fortitude to be ACE jet pilots we need them in the air force and we need them now you know what i mean i mean so that's that's what that idea was about and the fact is right now we we are breeding a bunch of people mm. who have are not set up for any success in any vocation right in our society right now that's a big friggin problem yeah and it's a big problem especially for the military because remember it's an all-volunteer force yeah so you have you know we're running into a situation where there might be students who want to join but they can't because they're too dumb so they have to and and there have there have been uh situations in the past where there are you know there are kids that yes they want to be able to join the military they're they're they were even they weren't even smart enough to score high enough to warrant getting into the marine corps so the military actually pays uh, certain people to be tutors, to tutor students to get up to a score so that they can join the Marine Corps, right? So they tutor them on basic practical things that they should have learned in high school to get them ready for the ASVAB so that they can retake it. I think you can take it like once a month or something. Like, I don't remember exactly but so that they can retake it and try to get a higher score so that they could at least qualify for the Marine Corps. Um, and, and I, I guess they're going to have to be putting more emphasis into that.
Yeah, that's well, and that's sad. That's just dumping more money and resources into re-educating kids because our education system is bullshit. So I'm going to share with you. Oh, before before I share with you this one thing, I need to. I just we need to have a laugh. So oh, uh, good. I need one. So we're gonna. I'm gonna do this one instead. Let me um, let me cue this one up here. This I heard this today. I couldn't even (sighs) (laughs) like I I couldn't even. I, I, at first I was like, no, this can't be true. And I, and I had to go find it. Um, there's a video. I'm not playing the video. I'm just going to play the, the audio. Um, I'm not going to play the full video because there's just, you know, one of the represent. this is in Congress. So Congress held a session today and um, I forget which representative this is, but he's leading Congress in a prayer. So that's, there's nothing interesting about the video. Uh, so here, listen to how, he ends this prayer again this is in the house of representatives today your house are you ready for this probably not check it out we ask it in the name of the monotheistic god brahma and god known by many names by many different faiths a man and a woman oh my god Oh, oh my God. <laughs> a man and a woman. <laughs> oh. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Yeah, That's oh yeah. Not fantastic oh, at yes. all. No, it is glorious. It is no. glorious. A man and a woman. That is so freaking stupid, man. The The word amen has nothing to do with freaking gender. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not saying a dude. Right. It heralds from Hebrew, which means so be it. Or so mote it be. Or so so mote it be. Or whatever. It translates into that, into that kind of a statement. So so may it, you know, so be it. So mote it be. Yes. These are the freaking jackasses making decisions and setting laws and telling us what is best for all of us. Everybody out there listening to me, Dag Nabbit. Now, look, these people don't know their ass from a hole in the ground and we elect them. And then we turn around in a, in a pandemic and in crisis and say, elected official and elected representative, I trust that you know more than me. Average Joe Q public. I don't know shit. So tell me what to do. I turn over my freedom and my decision making to you. These are the people, if you really think that this one jackass is just just an outlier i got news for you the whole freaking clan of them are just like this you're welcome (laughs) Uh, (laughs) isn't that 
fantastic. I just love it. It is just so good. Well, here's. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so freaking tired of the most ignorant people mm-hmm. amongst us rising the ranks of our government and telling us what we should be doing with ourselves. You, you don't, you don't, you, you don't like the mediocrity. You know, nobody that I've ever known has ever held a high regard for state <laughs> or uh, city employees. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happens to them after they were, they never lose their job. Have you ever heard of a state or, or city employee getting fired? No, they don't. You don't lose your job. What happens is you get promoted or everybody else does your job for you and you sit around until you can collect your pension. Mm -hmm. So once you figure out that you've got nothing else better to do with your time, then you run for office. Mm -hmm. And this is how these people get to be in charge of our daily lives. Oh, yeah. Now, now I'm going to shift gears here. Okay. You ready ready for this one? Probably not. Probably (laughs) not. So Cosmopolitan, you know what Cosmopolitan is, right? I'm not talking about the drink either. The magazine. The magazine, yes, correct. Yes. So Cosmopolitan, they are preparing their February issue. I think it comes out later this month. Oh, man. I, I got to make sure I go run out and buy that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. you're going to definitely want to run out and buy it when, when you see um, the one of the... So there are two covers... I'll show you the second one in a minute. <clears throat> I'll, but uh, there are two covers that are they're coming out with. There might be more actually, but the only two covers that I've found. Um, well, let me just share with you in all the glory, the upcoming Cosmopolitan magazine for February, 2021. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, the, oh, God. For, the, for those who are not no. on video, <laughs> let me try to explain. Let me try to paint a picture. <laughs> I think I've lost Jason. He can't even he can't even look at the screen anymore. Okay, so what we have here is in big pink letters across the top, it says cosmopolitan. And then in the middle is a woman, a black woman who uh, is my assumption is that she's either stretching or that's a yoga pose. I don't do yoga. That could be a yoga pose. I don't know. But imagine if you will, she's doing a yoga pose. It's not a horrible yoga pose. She's basically standing on one leg and her left leg is pulled up behind her and she's holding onto her, onto her foot stretched out behind her and her right arm is stretched out in front of her. And well, she's, um, she's a very large woman. And underneath her is, are the words, this is healthy. My reaction is. Wait, you have to finish. It says. Oh, well, it says beneath that, it says, this is healthy, exclamation point. It says 11 women on why wellness doesn't have to be one size fits all. Now, okay. Before we, we, we talk about this, because I think this is important. So keep in mind, we just mentioned that 30% of all of our youth are not fit enough to get into the military. Um, now, I don't believe it was very long. I think our our former first lady um, mm-hmm. was making it her personal mission to address the overwhelming childhood obesity issue that Michelle was um, taking over our country. Mm-hmm. 
So what happened to that? Well, she left office. Um, here's here's the other here's the other cover. <laughs> Another large woman who is Joy dressed is. in uh, skin tight yoga attire, but she's just got her hands on her hips and she's laughing. And again, it says underneath, "This is healthy!" Exclamation point. And again, the same words: eleven women on why wellness doesn't have to be one size fits all. Not eleven nutritionists or eleven doctors or, you know, 11 health experts, but just simply 11 women on why wellness doesn't have to be one size fits all. My, my, my initial reaction on seeing this was not this is healthy, but rather this is pre-diabetic. Okay. So no, 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 hold on, hold on. I, 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 I got a moment. You, you, you put this up in front of me twice. So I'm going to have a moment. Um, I am oh, this, not. This woman is a white woman, by the way, for those keeping score at home. Because I did mention that the other woman. The, was the other one was, was, yes, was black. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? I, I am not judging anybody by their body type, lifestyle. And nope. nor would I tell either one of those women that they are not beautiful people. And right. uh, nor would I say that they need to fit the quote unquote supermodel type because I think that's Correct. gross anyway. That's too far. I'm not saying that, but there's a big difference between feeling wellness inside and appreciating who you are as a person and saying the word healthy. Now I'll give you an example. I'll give you just a real quick example. I got a good buddy of mine. He went to go see his doctor for his, just his annual physical. Okay. Um, he's got sleep apnea. He wakes up sore. He's getting older. Like all of us are. Mm -hmm. So you get the normal growing old ailments. You know, my back hurts sure. when I wake up, I feel tired. I'm like, um, I don't have the energy I used to. And he's a bigger guy and he always has been a bigger guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say he's fat or not really fat anyway. I mean, but the doctor said, well, you know, you'd probably feel a little better if you lost some weight. And you know what he said? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. I know yeah. I need to lose weight. I've always needed to lose. And I, I probably should, Right. but he's a happy guy. Mm -hmm. He's happy inside. He doesn't, you know, I'm not saying he's like freaking depressed all the time because he's feeling fat and, you know, wants to off himself for crying out loud. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Does he know that he would probably feel a little better if he lost weight? Yes. Am I saying that you're a terrible person because you're fat? No, absolutely not. Do I'm, and I'm not going to say he's not a whole person either. But for me to sit here and say <laughs> that he's in the best health and he's not running the risk of getting becoming diabetic or you know what, maybe his diagnosed sleep apnea might actually go away if he lost. For me to say he's healthy, that's not fair. That's not right. Words matter. The English language matters. And just because you say this is healthy because you want to make everybody, quote unquote, feel better. Well, I'm sorry. We talked before. If you're a doctor, feelings don't freaking matter when it comes to actually treating the human body. Sorry, I know that may hurt your feelings out there, but welcome to reality. So there, there are a number of things that I that I you know thought of upon seeing these pictures. 
you know, I, I agree with you. You know, in us laughing, we're not laughing at these women. We're laughing at the, the absurdity that we have come to in this country where we're, we're trying to, we're trying to change reality and we're trying, literally we're trying, we can't change the fact that people are, are obese. And, and let's be honest, these two women that I show these two pictures of these two individuals, they're obese. Sure. They're classified as obese. Yes. Now, and that's not saying we can't use the, uh, you know, big is beautiful phrase. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, you know? there's, that's fine. Right. We're not advocating, neither neither you or I are ab- advocating that we should make fun of these people for how they look. We're, yeah. we're laughing and we're poking fun at the absurdity of where our culture is going. And, and I think, let's be clear, we're, we're nor- you know, our culture is trying to normalize. Anybody, anybody with a brain says, no, these, these two women are individuals who are worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we should also recognize that they probably live very unhealthy lifestyles. And, and they, they should change that. I mean, you know, I'm not morbidly obese and I can stand to lose a few pounds myself. Well, but I recognize that about myself and I recognize that I'm, I'm not necessarily the epitome of health. I'm not the apex predator of health here. Right. No, but, and, but, and, but we have to recognize re- what reality we have to acknowledge reality and say, yes, you can be a respected person. You should feel good about yourself. You should, but you should also probably be putting the ho-hos down. Well, and, and Okay. I am not, you, you can say that. And I, I respect you for saying that I'm not even telling or saying that those ladies should lose some few pounds. I'm not even telling them to put the ho-hos and the Twinkies down. I'm not telling them to change their lifestyle whatsoever. I'm simply saying, don't tell me to tell you that you're healthy just to make you feel better. That's stupid. Correct. But you know, and let's also recognize things, right? We have, we have a ton of people in this country running around yelling at people for not wearing masks or for gathering in groups because we're in the quote middle of a pandemic unquote and we recognize based on things that are happening in hospitals that obesity is a comorbidity of of the deaths when people suffer things like covid guess what it's even a you're even at risk of serious complications including death if you're obese and guess what, you get the flu. So that's another comorbidity that can lead to all kinds of serious complications because your body cannot handle the strain when you get a a respiratory infection or having problems breathing, even if you have the flu. So we cannot, we, we cannot acknowledge on one hand that being obese is a bad thing because it leads to heart disease and diabetes and joint pro- problems with with uh, joint function, um, and, and a host of other other ailments and illnesses, and then turn around and say, "Oh, but by the way, you're healthy if you're morbidly obese." Th- those two are in direct, you know, competition with one another. They cancel each other. They don't. Even, it doesn't even make sense. We are just normalizing. So we are normalizing behavior so that everybody can feel good about themselves no matter what. And you should have, you, you should have be in a position in your life and comfortable with yourself where you acknowledge your strengths as well as your flaws. 
the only way that that a that a morbidly obese person could actually get healthy is to recognize that they're in a bad place and they need to make some life changes. There's nothing wrong with them saying, I love who I am and I am comfortable with where I am in life and my my lifestyle and my friends, my family, whatever. It's multiple things can be true at once. They can have the, we, they should have a good self-esteem and a good outlook on life, but recognize that, you know what? Maybe I could lose some weight. Maybe I can make some, some different life changes here where I can make some uh, healthier choices in my life uh, for my sake, as well as my friends and family. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But for me to lie to you and tell you it's healthy just because, you know, it may hurt your feelers and your feel goods right. don't feel so good. Right. Well, sorry. Not right. sorry. I, what do you, would you rather me walk around behind you and, and just keep feeding you lies. And then when you die, you know, 10 years from now from complications mm -hmm. from God knows what just go, Oh yeah. Well, we, we had no idea. Right. I mean, I, if I mean, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, hey, you should lose probably, you know, four or five pounds. I'd say, you know what? You're absolutely right. And, and well, <laughs> well, if somebody just randomly comes up to me and says, hey, yo, you should probably lose four or five pounds. I mean, oh, you should probably take about four or five steps back before I sock you in the mouth. That's me. Whether it's mm -hmm. right or wrong, it's not my place. That's where I'm saying, but I'm not going to, I don't want some random stranger coming up to me and going, uh, Mr. Moret, I just want to let you know, you are a handsome individual and you are the epitome of health. And I think you're just fantastic. Right. Because my, my reaction is, am I being punked? Yeah. What's up? Uh, I mean, Where's the camera? <laughs> and who the heck are, who put you up to that? Right. Who's yeah, paying you? <laughs> I suggest you take four or five steps back before I suck you in the mouth. Cause you're freaking me out. Right. I mean, it's. I, that doesn't, neither one of those are properly serving the individual or mm -hmm. any of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, just you're, you're basically lying for the sake of, of, I don't, I don't even know at that point, because I'm sure that the lady, either one of those two ladies posing on the cover of Cosmo magazine are probably perfectly fine with how they are. Otherwise I highly doubt they'd be wanting to pose on the cover of a national, uh, national publication like Cosmo. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. I just want to know one thing. It, it, so we know now that it's okay for women to look like this. Is it okay for men? No, we're just fat slobs. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate question. You know, well, and it, I have it, a direct and legitimate it, answer. No, it's a it's a legitimate question because remember, there's that there's that there's that. Um, that double standard where let's say if you're in a relationship and I'm going to use you and you and your wife as an example, Careful. you're, you're, if you go to your, if, if your wife comes to you and says, honey, you're overweight. I want you to lose 10 pounds as a society. We know that that's perfectly acceptable. Yes. And I would get on the total gym and start working out every right. night. Now imagine. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nope. Nope. Not going to do it. <laughs> uh, uh. And everybody else out there doesn't need you to go through the rest of that example either. They heard enough and they know, no, sir. And you stop, turn around, walk away. Pretend right. like it never happened. Next clip. We're, we're not allowed. We're not allowed to say that. Hell 
hell no. Now, now, stop. Okay. Now, for all of our females out there in our listening audience, I'm going to put this to bed. Because I, and all of you who are saying, now that's not fair. Yes, you could absolutely come to us and we would we you know what i want my husband or my spouse or my boyfriend to be honest with me no you don't no you don't what you want is honey you look good no matter what size you are Mm -hmm. if you Mm want to lose weight lose weight i support you that's what you want to hear right right you don't want to hear your husband go damn honey i'm glad you brought this up because i've been trying to figure out how to tell you this for a while right you looked amazing 20 pounds ago Right. No, you don't want to hear that. And no, no, no man in his right mind would ever say that. Not in his right mind. Well, no man would say the opposite of that. No man that wants to stay married or (laughs) breathing (laughs) would ever say that. (laughs) Is there a double standard? Yes. (coughs) Yes. Is that equality? No. Is that fair? I don't know. That depends. That that's a whole nother debate upon what's fair. Is that reality? Yes. And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Mm. That's the I'm I'm sorry. That is the societal norm for men and women. As far as I'm concerned, I don't. I can't say I necessarily have a problem with that. I get it. Am I saying that that's equal and fair? No, absolutely not. But. This is the same conversation I have with my wife about why my daughter is going to be raised differently than my son. I'm not saying I'm going to love one or the other more than the other, but I'm going to raise my son like a man and like a boy, and I'm going to raise my daughter like my daughter and like a princess because that's what she is. Sure. And there is a difference. And that's okay. I don't have to raise my son and my daughter the exact same way the rules for men and women are not the same the natural vocations and tendencies for men and women are not the same no matter how much we try and pretend that they are no matter how much we shove it down each other's throats that we are all freaking created equal we're not and me i can't just decide that i'm going to be a woman and expect everybody to treat me the same and vice versa we're not the same get the frick over it and we will be more productive and live happier and more fruitful lives because of it. Except that we are different, endowed by our creator with beautiful differences in each one of us. And embrace those. Stop subjugating all of us to this stupid bullshit for the sake of what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Continue. <laughs> well, let's talk about freedom. Oh, yeah. Let's jump right into that. You know? Why not? Ah. You ready to... my whistle. Go ahead. <laughs> so what, uh, you know, there are a few things that got me thinking about this whole concept. Um, and, you know, originally I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of um, living in a free society or freedom as we usually think of it in terms of um, nationality or a privilege of being an American or something along those lines. I I wasn't even thinking of it in terms of that, but I think 
as we start getting into freedom, I think it's very easy to see how freedom aligns with those kind of higher nationalistic concepts, if you will. So I don't think anything is, is off the table as we talk about freedom. And obviously we're not going to do it justice in another hour in talking about freedom. Um, but there, there are a couple of things that uh, got me thinking about this. So I was, you know, last week we were talking a little bit about, we kind of ended our show, uh, started talking about minimalism. I think we've talked a couple of times about minimalism. Um, you have talked about minimalism. I have, yes, yes. I have talked about it as a, as a minimalist myself self-professed minimalist um actually and and you know what kind of got me thinking about it was i started like pulled out more stuff that i was that i'm getting rid of and because even you know being a minimalist it's it's a it's a it's a journey it's never done you're never done because especially after the holidays you get more stuff and you have to decide what stuff do i throw out and you know, or you just unearth things that you forgot that you had buried somewhere. And it's like, oh, crap, I got to get rid of this now. Right. Um. <laughs> I swear one of these days I'm going to turn on the news and you're going to be there. Man found on rooftop living with underwear and iPhone and his phone. And that's it. <laughs> you minimalized everything else in your life. Not, can't get rid of anything yeah. else but your underwear and your and your phone. And well, and what got me thinking about it is as I was pulling this stuff out. And I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of this now, and uh, and there was that momentary sense of of freeness, you know. Oh, it's like oh, I got rid of some some more crap, and uh, it's a very I've always described it as very liberating, very liberating feeling to get rid of stuff, um, and that sort of got me thinking about this whole concept of freedom. How we as a society, a lot of people in our society were very much wedded to the things that we bring into our lives. Um, and we tend to sacralize things. By that, I mean, we tend to hold things, specific things sacred, especially if somebody, if somebody passes on and they, you know, they leave you a bunch of stuff, right? You tend to equate the memories with that particular part. Well, I can't get rid of that because that was mom's, or I can't get rid of this because it was my grandmother's. Um, and what's funny is I always think about my grandmothers and I know one of them, one of my grandmothers didn't care about any crap. And she would, she would tell you, Oh, I don't give a crap. I didn't give a crap about it. I found it at a garage sale or whatever. <laughs> you know, she didn't want anything. She didn't like anything, but she just had stuff. So she would have been the first person to tell you, don't hold on to it because of me. I found it at a garage sale. Yeah. Um, but because we attach a particular image of, of somebody onto an object, then we hold on to that object. And then I was thinking about, well, what happens when we hold on to that object? We're in essence enslaving ourselves to maintaining it. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to, we have to provide a place for it. We have to clean it and at least keep it dusted, you know, keep it from getting all dusty and everything. We require storage space. Even if we're going to stick it in a closet, well, we need to have bigger closets to put all of the stuff that we have. And we come, we become very tethered to things um, so much so that people can't even feel like they, you know, people who want to travel, they often will cite, well, I can't really go anywhere for any length of time because, well, I have all this stuff here. Um, and as a society, we even, even when we fill up our homes full of stuff, 
it's okay because you can go out and you can rent whole places to load more stuff into it, mm -hmm. right? And so I started thinking about freedom from that perspective of how our things can really bog us down and trap us and basically act as anchors and limit our overall freedoms, not only just in our ability to move freely, but what is that, what does it do to us when we're, when we're enslaved to something? Uh, but what does it do to our psychology, to the way we think, to uh, the way that we view our, the lives around us? Because having a lot of stuff is very draining psychologically as well. So I wanted to kind of talk through that and expand on that. And of course, the idea of freedom is free for all. It doesn't have to be about the stuff that we own. It can go any direction, but I, I wanted to kind of set the stage with that. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting. You talk about items or things like that, that we hold on to, um, especially when it comes to somebody, Pat, like my, my hat that I'm wearing tonight, this is one of my dad's. Um, I took it out of the cellar when I was down there after he had passed and, and I knew, uh, it was one that he, he didn't give it to me, but you know, none my brother and sister, they, they can't wear it. <laughs> right. So, uh, right. so I was like, well, who else is going to have it? It might as well be me. So I'll take it. Um, but there's been a, there's a lot of little things that I, that I took of my dad's after he passed away that I, I always wondered if, uh, if he could come back and talk to me and I go, Oh man, you remember this? And look at, I saved this. And he'd probably go, Jason, that's just a bunch of junk. Just get rid of that. Or, right, he probably would. Have, or, you know, or, you know, Hey, do you still have one of those matchbooks from like Glacier Park? Cause I saved those years ago. And I'm like, no, I didn't say, I didn't have that. Well, that's something I would have liked you to keep on, you know, hang on to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny thinking about all those little things. And yes, we, we attach, I guess the memory of those who we've lost or, or even, even things that we've been gifted from people who are still around. I mean, um, my, uh, one of my very good brothers, uh, gave me a, a watch when my wife and I got married. Um, it's scratched. It's kind of beat up. Um, I have replaced the batteries in it a couple times and it's, it's not holding time very well. My wife got me a brand new one for Christmas, which is beautiful. I love it. Um, I haven't thrown the other one out. I don't know when or how I'm going to do that. I probably will at some point, but I got to hang on to it for a certain period of time before I can do that. Um, because it was why? a gift and it was a, I, cause it was a gift and it That's was the only reason gift. why it's the only reason. And I know where you're at and I respect you for that. So I'm going to tell you to shut up and don't lecture me right now <laughs> and respect me for where I'm at with I it. I would right always now. respect if you wanted to add 10 more watches, I'm not going to judge you for it. No, but you'll Openly. ask me questions like, <laughs> I'm just well, curious. Well, like yeah. why, why, why yeah. keep it? So I'm going to hang, like I said, I will hang on to it for a definitive amount of time. And before I finally go, okay, well, there's no point in me hanging on to it and I'll discard it. Define definitive amount of no. time. It's definitive for me. <laughs> so it's actually subjective. Yes. It's not really defined at all. Correct. It's defi <laughs> I've defined it as when I'm damn good and ready. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. I told you, shut up. Don't ask me. <laughs> Putting a spotlight on it so that you uh, feel shame. There's no shame there. Okay. There's all no right. shame there. All right. So. Yep. 
I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I know. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> um, I was watching. So I've I've been watching this. Uh, well, actually, the the two guys that got me kind of started on minimalism. Um, they run a pod, they've run a podcast called the minimalists. They've written a book on minimalism. Um, and they've actually created two documentaries on minimalism and they came out with their second one, uh, just this past Friday. And I started watching that. Sadly, I, I, I like, I'm a fan of these two guys. Uh, I'm a fan of them. They're about my age. Um, I listened to their podcast and everything, but I was sort of disappointed by their, uh, by the second documentary. I don't think it's as good as their first one. And I thought it was kind of dragging, but I would recommend anybody, if you're curious uh, about minimalism, go onto the Netflix, check out their first one. Um, I think it's like minimalism and things that remain. I forget. Their first one is actually really good. I was actually watching it today. I, I was watching it. It was rewatching it today. And I can't even think of the actual name of it. Just search for the minimalist and it's there. Um, but there was there was a there was a comment there was a quote that one of the people um, in the first movie mentioned that that struck me um, and he was talking about worrying and you know worrying can be very it, it can be a huge anchor around us mm-hmm. right that you have to you know in worrying about things it can it can eat at you it can cause a lot of physical ailments it can create ulcers right but worrying is can be positive to a certain extent it can drive us to take action if they're because why are we worrying we're worrying because there's something in our lives that we've kind of left ourselves exposed and now there's activity that's happening and we don't know how it's going to end up and so we're worrying because we don't know how it's going to end up so there's a lot of unknown there's chaos in our life and we have to try to bring order to that um Anyway, this character, this guy was talking about it. He was, he was, he in the, in the movie was relating a story about how he was talking about worrying with some guru, life coach, etc. And this guru person said, um, well, is it useful? The act of worrying is it, is, it, but when you're worrying about something, is it useful? And I really liked that question. The f- simple question of, is it useful? And I thought, well, if it's useful, then that means you, it's going to drive you by worrying, by the act of worrying. If the worrying is useful, then it should be driving you to take action to, to fix or remedy what is causing you to worry. Mm-hmm. If it's not useful, for example, the, the, the example that the guy was talking about in the movie was how he was traveling and he was having to fly all over the place and he was worried about missing his connecting flight and what that would do to his itinerary if he missed his connecting flight. There's nothing that you can do about whether or not you're going to make a connecting flight. Literally nothing. There's nothing. You, can, you can't make the planes go faster. You can't hold the planes. You can't stop time. You can't get across an, aerpo- an airport fast enough, right? So there's, there's no point. In, so the, the idea being, is it useful to worry in that situation? And the reality is no. So I started thinking about that in terms of freedom and how even different thoughts can keep us from achieving true sense of freedom in our lives. And I wanted to see what you thought about that. 
Well, and and I know my mom used to ask me stuff like that. Is is there anything you can do to change the situation? Is there anything you can do to address it? No. Then let it go. Let it go. Release yourself from it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's it's a hard exercise to put into practice because I think we naturally have a tendency we want to be able to control every aspect of our lives, especially when things are going to potentially um, affect us in a negative way. We, we have to we have to address that. And if we don't sit and think about how we're going to address it and what we're going to do to be prepared for it and what's going to potentially happen, then we're going to get caught blindsided by it. Um, so to actually look at something, is there anything that I can do to address said situation? No, then there's no point in worrying about it. It's easier said what, than done though, right? Absolutely easier said than done. You know, it's, um, I remember not long after, um, 9-11, you know, remember we had the terrorist threat levels and we were all on the, the, the colors, like there was like right. orange and red and green and brown. I, I don't even remember any of that now, but there for a time it was like, <gasps> they changed the threat level to orange. What does that mean? I don't know, but we got to worry about it. And we get, you know what? No, we don't be prepared as you can for whatever you think you need to be. But after that, let it alone. I mean, in situation like that, I think it, it's easy for a lot of people and a lot of us as Americans to say, you know, we are as prepared because we have the military and things to help stave off those attacks and all of our police and first responders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the best we've got we can do. It's not going to likely affect me in my daily life, if whether that's true or not. It was a comfort blanket we got to wrap ourselves up in and feel good. Um, and then it was easy to just let alone and live our daily lives. So you, you fast forward to now, now we have a COVID pandemic and we have a whole slew of people doing the exact opposite. They're so freaking worried about all of the what ifs that could be happening that what if I get it and what if I this and what if that and what if I die and what if my insides explode and then I cover my family in, you know, intestinal juices right in front of them because I just spontaneously combusted because I got COVID and they've lose their minds. Is that productive? No. Is what we're doing right now productive? No. And all we're doing right now is trying to satiate the worry of the American public, which frankly, we're escalating at the exact same time and we got everybody all freaked out. So is that liberating? No, absolutely not. It puts everybody in lockstep in chains just like a dang chain gain behind what we're being told we absolutely must and must not do in order to satiate any kind of worry what amazes me is the amount of people who willfully put chains on oh it's like i said that's the weighted blanket that we just wrap ourselves in well the the man on tv said as long as i just put my mask on and I don't touch anybody and I don't buy DVDs at the Walmart and I don't do, then I, I won't die and I won't bastardize my children and I'll get to see my grandparents again. And, you know, so I'm going to lock mom and dad and my grandparents up in their basements because that's what they said to do. And you know what? I'm going to do that. I absolutely going to do that. I have to do that because ultimately I believe this is the key. Everybody believes that if they don't, and the worst happens, they will ultimately feel responsible. 
So, <clears throat> you know, I, I was, I was chatting with a friend of mine, an old colleague of mine today, and we were talking about um, Mao Zedong, okay. the communist leader in China that started basically communist China. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about what he, I don't know if he read this somewhere, but he, he told me the term and I liked it. So for lack of an actual reference, I'll attribute it to him. He calls it the, the, um, the purity, the morality spiral. I had to look at, I had to check it again. He calls it the morality spiral. And, uh, and the reason why this came up is because we were talking about how people in our society today are latching chains onto themselves uh, as virtue signals. And because I may latch a chain onto my, onto myself and do something, then I expect you to latch a chain onto yourself. And so what we're doing is now, if I'm lashing a chain onto myself and I get to, I get to say that now I'm, I'm better than you in, in essence, I, I, I increase my social standing because look at how virtuous I am um, in, in, in my chains, in my suffering. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then you may want to, you might say, well, Manuel has this, these new privileges now. So I have to be oppressed and so that I can gain a boost in social virtue points. Right. And it creates this, unending spiral. And he used, he used the example of, um, of Mao Zedong in communist China. And when Mao took over, what he started to do is he said, look, um, everybody, you know, changing all of the rules here, the only people that can have a say, um, you have to be Maoist, you have to be a communist. And if you, if you out somebody, Okay, as a non-Maoist, as a as a non-communist, then you re, you were incentivized to do so. You actually gained in prestige, you gained in status by turning over people that were not communist. And so, what ended up happening was <clears throat> it played right into the oppression, right? It played right into reducing freedoms for tens of for millions of people within communist China at the time. And it spiraled out of control because if you were incentivized, if there's an incentive for you to declare somebody as not of proper ideology, then you're going to purge everybody. You're going to declare everybody that that's around you that even the slightest infraction, they're not good enough because that's going to increase your prestige. But, but that does happen. That, that absolutely does happen. We're seeing that played out uh, in our culture today by people that are either, they're not environmentalist enough or, um, you know, you see it with, uh, with, with in political ideology all the time. Uh, you see it with, uh, with racism in this country. And, you know, it used to be that you just, you didn't want to be a, you didn't want to be a racist, right? It used to just be simply, well, I'm not a racist. And, you know, let me, let me prove to you that I'm not a racist. Well, that's not good enough anymore. You now have to be actively anti-racist, which means a whole host of other things. 
right. um, that is almost impossible to define because the, the, the goalposts keep changing. And yep. in essence, what this means is we lose freedom just by the way we think. Well, and, and the way our society puts those rules upon its fellow citizenry. I mean, yeah, the, it used to be a point where somebody called you a racist. You, you actually, I mean, that was insulting. And you usually cited two to three to five examples, depending upon how engaged you wanted to be in the conversation on how you weren't. And that was either good enough or you just moved on. Now, um, it's actually gone so far. If, if you're a Caucasian person, as I am, you aren't allowed to believe that it's possible for you to not be racist you have to actually accept that you are and apologize for the fact that you are and hope that they understand that that is a demon that you are fighting against your whole life and will never beat that's what it's come to and not only that i mean the even the small demonstrations that people do anymore you might you've seen some of these um it's like in these house in this house we believe mm -hmm signs that, that people are putting up these are the the um the token flags that show everybody that they are better than everyone else who doesn't have one i mean it's a very direct gesture you know in this house we believe that black lives matter love is love science is real feminism is for everyone no human is illegal and kindness is everything or something of that i mean well good for you why are you putting a sign out in front of your house? It's not for you. Right. That's for you to show everyone else that you automatically place yourself on a higher rung of society than everyone else around you. And everyone else who does not follow suit should be shamed. That's exactly what that is. Well, and it, and it keeps... It keeps spiraling. We see this with um, not only just in, in, in racism, but we see this in uh, other, other areas like, like the LGBT um, virtue signaling, I should, I, you know, I should say, um, the number of different genders that people now claim uh, exist. It, it's, it's, it's never ending um to the point of to the point of absurdity and if you don't check all of the right boxes then you you are you know you're a type of you're a type of fascist or a criminal for example this person this is a picture of what somebody i'm just going to read it to you so i don't need to share everything here it's just a, a post that somebody um a young lady posted online to social media and the top of the caption says me talking to other LGBTQIA plus people. I don't even know what the acronym stands for anymore. Uh, so here's what she posted. She said, this is her post. She says, I am a pansexual, gender fluid, trans, non-binary, non gender queer. I use they, them, and strive to present androgynously, but being assigned female at birth and lacking access to trans healthcare, plus being an androphilic diamorph diamoric NB, 
with a masculine partner means I'm often cishet assumed, which comes with privilege I should acknowledge in addition to the dysphoria and misogyny I receive from my femme-leaning presentation. That's word salad. What? But, what? But notice... Well, wait, she, wait, but she's she's all of this stuff. She's a female with a male partner. Right. I'm uh, so there's there are all of these descriptors. Okay, there are all of these descriptors, and more and more people it's, to me, this is a there's a psychological disorder here at play. Yes. And, and I'm not and I'm not trying to say I'm not I'm not saying this to be funny i there's there's something seriously wrong in the in the thinking i'm not saying that she's crazy but society society has created this environment where thinking going through these kinds of gyrations to think this way I, i i i don't even understand what is happening here but she is she is going overboard with with pulling in all of these descriptors to describe herself so that she can say, I love everybody (laughs) or I'm just, I'm just as oppressed as everybody else. She, well, yeah, but she sounds, I mean, she's, she's making a, she's filing a grievance of some sort that she's not getting a something. And I can honestly say, listening to all that and trying to follow as best I can, I haven't the foggiest idea. What do you want? She. This is that we've reached a point where the most we've reached a point in our society where it doesn't matter if you have merit. What matters? Your. It used to be that your ability to either get ahead or be successful or have any kind of privilege was based on merit did you accomplish it or not did you earn the right to join that exclusive club or do you have to work a little bit harder before you can join it right right it used to be that you could you reaped the rewards of your labor whatever that labor might have been or 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 even for a a a cohesive argument I, sure. I can make that same same point you want to raise you want more money you want right. you know what you want my pen from me right why should i give it to you convince me make an argument that has sound that, that you're worthy of that pen. okay you know what you deserve this more than i do you do this yes but now we have reached a point in our society where we've recognized over time that certain people were oppressed and and i let's just say for the sake of argument that that is true we have we have a a group of per- people over here that they were oppressed and since they were oppressed we have to give them certain special accommodation whatever that accommodation might be some sort of amends yep some sort of amends and what has happened is other groups of people see that and say well wait a minute why do they get special treatment well they were oppressed mm-hmm. in this one area the light bulb goes on and says oh well I want special treatment. I want freebies. Who doesn't want a free ticket to whatever? So I'm also oppressed. Mm -hmm. And 
well, you know, it used to be, well, you know, you had to be female, you know, it was, I'm using this as an example. If the, if the argument went, well, I was a female and females were, were oppressed. Okay. That's fine. We'll give you, we'll give you a, a free ticket. Well, but I'm, but now it's, I'm female and a black woman. I mean, I'm a black woman. Oh, well, you're black. So you're female and black. So you get another ticket, but then it became, well, I'm female, black, and I identify with cats and I'm a cat lover. Oh, well then you're, you're triply oppressed. So let's give you yeah. something more. Right. And so this begins to spiral out of control and people come up with more and more and more and more ways to virtue signal their oppression. And now we wind up with this. I'll read it again. How many, how many forms of oppression are buried in this? Every single one of these descriptors is an example of her oppression. And again, she wrote, I am a pansexual, gender fluid, trans, non-binary, gender queer. I use they, them, and strive to present androgynously. But being assigned female at birth and lacking access to trans healthcare, plus being an androphilic, diamoric NB with a masculine partner means I'm often cishet assumed, which comes with privilege I should acknowledge in addition to the dysphoria and misogyny I received from my femme-leaning presentation. There, there, there's so many, it's like she wins the oppressive Olympics. I no, I, I almost have to believe that this is somebody really just messing with everybody, which when you add that many a description word basically means she's a heterosexual female <laughs> and she's totally poking the bear, but she has gray hair, wears glasses. And I, well, wait, 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 why did, why does that matter? Help me under. <laughs> I don't, I don't, maybe she's an old grandma going, okay, you want to play? I can play this game. Ticket, I'm, I'm this, 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 this. It's, it's well, kind of like, I, I would, joke thing that I would I'm agree with you. Trapped in a man's body. If, if I were seeing this, if I were seeing this for the first time, I would think that this was a joke. Okay. I, I would, I would think that this is a joke. The problem is, is on social media, this is so prevalent. This is so prevalent, this kind of thinking and these kinds of, gyrations people are twisting themselves into knots into pretzels to attach these descriptors and a lot of those people are certain now are there people that do make fun of them absolutely there are and they come up with with the, the absolutely but this is an example of of things that are happening where people are attaching so many different descriptors they're there i have never before seen a society that is literally saying, look at how oppressed I am while they're chaining themselves, while they're clamping the shackles onto their arms and legs and, you know, attaching the shackle around their neck and throwing the anchor over the ocean, you know, into the ocean. It's like, you know, watch me, you know, look, I'm drowning over here as they heave the anchor into the ocean to drown themselves is, you know, you know, someone come and save me because look at, look at how much baggage and how the chains, all these chains were forged by you, but watch how I put them all on myself. I mean, this is insanity. And well, people and are the, willingly you know, entering, people are willingly giving up freedom to be oppressed because they think that it's going to win them something. Yep. And you, you made a, a correlation here. And, and we talked last week about the difference between man psychology and boy psychology. Um, and that you made an interesting point when you talked about people seeing 
uh, one oppressed, quote unquote, oppressed group getting their goodies. Well, I want my goodies. Mm -hmm. And then, well, and I'm going to add this and I get more goodies. And then other people see that. Children do this. Any parent out there or any teacher out there or anybody who's been around kids, you know, kids see that. And then they, they mimic that behavior or they go, I'm that, oh, and I'm also this. And so I want more. That's how children act. The funny part is our society overwhelmingly is reverting back to a very childlike mental state in how we fight for the goodies and the snacks coming from our representative parents. And that is the government and whoever else we feel are the haves in this country and we're the have nots and they need to provide for us. And that's how you go from being an adult free member of society to a absolute, like you use the term shackled child. And that's how we act. That's how we are acting. And that's where we go back to all of this sensitivity BS that we talked about before. This is how children act. And I know because I've talked to my, my daughter and I remember getting talked to when I was a child growing up, say, knock it off. You're not a child anymore. Grow up, roll off, stand up, quit blubbering and go deal with it. That's what happens. And we're actually reverting back to this childhood state. Our whole entire country is they want to be, they want to be provided for by someone else. So they don't want to have to do anything for themselves. They want what everybody else has. They're never happy with what they have. They have no sense of personal responsibility for their situation in life or any drive to want to try and fix it. They want mommy and daddy to come in and clean up their room for them and give them their freaking snacks and make sure they tuck them into bed at night and tell them everything's going to be okay. And if that means they have to pay, uh, abide by all the rules that mommy and daddy set out for them and eat the food that mommy and daddy do, fine. As long as they don't have to grow up, be an adult, take their own freedom into their own hands, the joy of that and the responsibility of that for themselves, and they can continue to act like children. And that's where we are. You know, when I was watching, when I was rewatching The Minimalist's um documentary on netflix today there was um there was a a couple of instances and it was enough where you know it it happened once and i thought i don't really like the way they responded to that and these are people that were being interviewed so not the two guys that are called the minimalist but there's a lot of interviews during the documentary um but there was one person one person that you know was talking trying to equate being a minimalist to environmentalism and the first time I heard that, I'm like, uh, you know, okay, keep going. But then it kept cropping up in the documentary. And I, I don't remember that the first time I watched it, which has been a year or two, whatever, as long as it's been, but it really stuck out with me today. Um, and I think it's because I've been trying to live as a minimalist for a while now. Um, so now I'm watching this documentary from a different headspace mm-hmm. and so there were these multiple people kept trying to correlate minimalism with saving the environment. And I thought that's where you lose me. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't care about the environment, but minimalism, I'm of the firm belief that minimalism has to be a personal choice. Sure. It's, it's a personal, it's a, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's basically stoicism, mm-hmm. 
in practice. Like, sure. yeah, it's stoicism that's focused on the physical things around you. And, and it kind of creates this methodology of practicing stoicism and putting you in that mindset because the, the ancient Stoics really just talked about stoicism from uh, the act of thinking and minimalism sort of puts it into practice a little bit in a different light. But, and I'll just make this point really quick is one of the things that I, that troubled me about trying to equate it with environmentalism is I thought, don't become a minimalist just because you want to save the environment, because otherwise you're going to, you're, you're not doing it for the right reason. And eventually, probably very quickly, sooner rather than later, you're going to recognize and say, well, I'm doing this to save the environment. Other people are not doing it to save the environment. Therefore, they should live like me because I'm doing what's right to save the environment. And now you're basically trying to put the shackles on other people. And there are people that do that. There are people right. that lash out at consumers and try to put the chains of, of oppression on them, try to shackle their freedom so that they cannot just quote unquote, destroy the environment anymore. And they want people to live like they do. And I think, and I thought that's the wrong way to approach this. One of the, you don't become a minimalist to save the environment. You, you become a minimalist because you want to turn that eye of, in, of that eye of visit of, of anal, of analysis in inward so that you can look internal and make the changes within yourself. Because even if we look external into the environment, that's still the wrong reason to do it. You, it might be noble, but it's, it's the wrong reason to live this kind of a lifestyle because it's one that's going to drive you to wanting to shackle other people around you. So to force them to be like you. Right. Well, and you know, you, you've not that I'm, I'm going to turn around and be a minimalist because that's, just oh, I know that's going to happen. Um, and I understand when you've talked about it, that's, that's a, it is a life choice, but it's more of a psychological liberation of the mm -hmm. attachment mm -hmm. to physical objects mm -hmm. and, and, and possessions because those things detract from the self. So it's, it's an inward progression journey of enlightenment for you. And I think that that's important that that makes that a holistic endeavor. And it's something that you can latch on to and embrace for that and for the beauty that it offers not have that lifestyle be a burden upon you for another goal that's virtue signaling i mean that's right. exactly what right. that will turn into right and you don't utilize that as a tool to signal your own nobility to the the um, peasants around you that's not what that's supposed to be about at least as far as i understand minimalism in that regard it's about the liberation it's, it's the freedom thereof the other thing that you we we talked about when we we discussed freedom once before is that freedom is very ugly freedom's sticky it's it's it is and it's i very think yucky a lot of people especially now they say they want freedom but they don't correct they really don't correct. and i look i mean right now i look around <laughs> at every at the masses of people around me and i go you don't want freedom no you want direction, you want control, you want to be told, you want to be directed, and you want to be provided for. Very much like what I was saying about acting like children, walking around in their mommy and daddy's big shoes, 
around the living room, looking all cute. Look at me. I'm an adult. I'm going to go to work now. Um, that's what I see. Real freedom is very yucky. There was a, uh, a video, um, that came to mind. Uh, it, it was, it was a video from, uh, 10, 20 years ago, perhaps now. Um, it would probably take me some time to find it, but it was a clips of college age students, adults who were talking about their, uh, their ideal dictator and, or dictators that they would agree with, they would love to live under. And, and there's one scene that stands out in my mind of a, a young woman. She was very angry. She was in the camera and she was screaming at the camera saying, you know, a, a dictator who gives free health care is a dictator that I can support. And a dictator who gives free education to their people is a dictator that I can support. This was around the time when we were going into Iraq for the second time under W. Bush. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I kept thinking that, but at what, what cost? Oh, it, it, cost does not come into, to, to factor for most people. And I don't even mean in terms of dollar amounts. No, I'm no, just, no, no, no. I'm not talking about, you, you don't get all of that, that provision right, right. without the relinquishing of your own ability to provide for yourself. Right. So that is the cost of your freedom and we we talked about this we give up our liberties as a society we give up our liberties bite-sized pieces at a time to those in exchange for what we feel are either necessary security or provisions right so whether it's free health care let's say we give up our own liberties in order to obtain that whether it's in the form of taxes or choice i mean let's let's be honest not long ago, very recently, we were told we weren't going to have the choice right. when it comes to our health care. We have to sacrifice that freedom, that liberty of choice for what and who gets to decide what's good for me and my body, what they think is healthy. <laughs> right. And I have to sacrifice and give that liberty up so that I can get health care provided for everyone. I mean, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this on the show in the past where, you know, you have, you look at, at Soviet Russia and, and people were literally starving. The country was starving because they couldn't feed themselves, even though in the Ukraine, for example, Ukraine is some of the, some of the most fertile land. There's so much opportunity there for them to feed, not only just Russia, not only the Soviet Union, but, you know, over like half of the planet. And they were incapable of producing food to feed themselves. People were starving because of the, the dictatorship that was in place. Mm -hmm. But yet they had free health care. They had free housing. And it was all crap. The, yeah. the housing units were falling apart. Uh, they had uh, free education. But again, what people fail to understand is healthcare and education and housing and foods, those are all items. Those are all things that have scarcity that are, they're scarce. And just because you have, it doesn't matter what political structure you implement. 
you must obey the laws of scarcity, which means not everybody can have everything that they want. So not everybody can have all the healthcare that they want, or not everybody can have all the education that they want. Maybe you can, but over time and prices and markets help to regulate who gets what, when, because well, who wants it more? If you want it more, then you'll pay a higher price for something. Or if it's more ubiquitous, then obviously the price goes down and now everybody can partake of it. Uh, it's a, There's a reason why McDonald's is cheap. Anybody who wants a McDonald's cheeseburger can essentially get a McDonald's cheeseburger. But guess what? They're still not free. Right. Um, so it doesn't matter what type of government you have, you still have to obey the laws of scarcity. And even when you have a, dicta a dictator who's in charge, the dictator can't give free education to everybody, can't give food to everybody, can't, they, they can't possibly do that. So scarcity has to come into play and they have to figure out who's going to earn the college degree sooner rather than later. And it might be the fact that, well, these 5 million people over here, you don't get to go to college. You have to go do something else. Mm -hmm. You don't, you now have lost the choice for your own self, because the dictator has to, has to deal with scarcity. There's only right. so many chairs at the university. There's only right. so many. And you know, that you can only give so many people the ticket into the university and the rest of the people, well, you're SOL, you have to go figure out something else. Price allow price and scholarships and all that kind of thing help to regulate that scarcity and give it to those who are the most, uh, you know, uh, who have earned the right to go and who want to go. Well, and, and I mean, on just general supply and demand, when you've got a, sure. a resource, any resource that is in short supply, what happens to the cost? The cost goes up because that's, it is a premium item, which requires premium dollars. And usually there's a selection process of who's allowed to obtain said premium item, but that's, that's the nature of, of availability. I mean, that sets, that sets a big part of that, um, that supply. And then of course, if you create something, a new widget, that's amazing and everybody wants it. Well, you can create as much as needed. So it's not a supply issue, but if the demand is through the roof, cost also goes up. I mean, and so therefore there's always a balance of regulation on any resource of any type. But, and that's just reality. Right. And people are willing, people are just blindly willing to accept and give up freedoms because they, they look at things through rose colored glasses or they just, society is sending them signals like people who have to come up with 50 different descriptors for how they're oppressed. Um, if, if, you, if you're going to get some kind of privilege and recognition and special treatment with the more descriptors that you have attached to you, well, then we can't be surprised when people come up with, with descriptors that are 50 words long or 60 words long. Well, know? and let me, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I truly believe there isn't a single person alive today who hasn't been oppressed in one way, shape of or force. Course. Everybody who hasn't has. suffered some kind of difficulty somebody's in been life. singled out at one point or another in their life, whether they didn't get picked or they were the last one picked on a dodgeball game, or they had to stand in the back of the line one day in elementary school because they got to be at the front of the line two days before or whatever. 
you've been slighted in your life. I've been slighted in my life. Everybody yeah. I know has. Yeah. Everyone has. Why is that somebody else's problem to retroactively or retcon mm -hmm. <laughs> fix? Why is that a problem? Why is that something? Because here's the reality. If I can accept that you've been oppressed at one point and singled out, and I've been oppressed at one point and singled out, and everyone else out there has, then guess what? We're all equal. And so nobody is do anything more than anyone else. Well, that, I think it I think it's because people don't want to have to work for it. They don't want to have to no. they they don't want to have to work to go to college, for example. They just want to be given a, a, a free ticket to go to college. Mm -hmm. Um for those who do want to go to college, for example. Uh, and, and so how do you get a free ticket to college? Well, look, our scholarships are an, our entire financial aid is based on people who have some kind of a, either prior oppression or they fall into a category that society deems to be negative in some way and not mm -hmm. negative like the Ku Klux Klan that we want to ostracize, but negative from the perspective of, oh, you poor thing, let's help you. Right. Right. So you get, if you, if your family doesn't, if your family is essentially poor, well then guess what? You get heaps and heaps of money thrown at you if you want to go to college. Um, if you are minorities, there are tons of scholarships for just for minorities. Um, you know, if, if you're a woman who wants to study mechanical engineering, you'd probably have so many scholarships thrown at you because there are so many scholarships for women to go into the sciences because historically there have been very few women who go into the sciences. Most women don't want to go into the sciences. They're not, there are women who do that who are very, that are mathematicians, et cetera. I'm not saying that they're not, but they tend to be outliers when you look at women as a whole women typically do not, are not interested in those kinds of things and that's okay. Right. And so, but there are groups that have put together uh, scholarships for young women who are interested in going into, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, but sadly people have latched on and said, well, if I have, if I'm oppressed, well, then I get free stuff. I get right. benefits. I get all kinds of, so now there's this race to be, the most oppressed and we're literally watching the oppression Olympics unfold before our eyes. And it's, it's quite disturbing. It's yeah. comical in many ways, but it's also quite disturbing. No, it is disturbing. And you know, we, we touched on an, another idea when we talked about um, um, the welfare system briefly, mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to get into a welfare discussion necessarily, but, but I am going to use it as an example about talking about, um, an entire group of people, and, and this is not a demographic, this is just a, a whole group of people that fall under, let's just say, a poverty level, well, okay? So you get labeled into that, and then you're, you get brought into a welfare system which provides for you, and then you're caused to believe that you are not only, because that you were dealt a really poor hand of cards in life, that you are entitled to this, but then you become dependent upon it and you never break free from that. Well, that goes for any of these other situations. I mean, whatsoever you talk about our, our college scholarships. Now you're like, well, how is that? How is that equate to the welfare system? Well, if you've got an individual, let's just say 
I got a scholarship based on race and income and gender and all of that. None of that's going to ever happen for me, but let's just pretend. So I get my free ride scholarship to one of the most prestigious schools in the country because now I can actually go because if they were to actually say that I didn't have the grade to go into it, well, that's oppressive too. So we're just going to waive that for you as well. So I go, I get my scholarship from, for this, from this prestigious school and I actually graduate. Don't know how, but I actually make it out. What have you taught me that the only way for me to accomplish anything is to get it provided for me without any effort of my own. Mm -hmm. That's what you've taught me. And you've created a dependent individual in me on someone else. And that's, that's a mentality that mm -hmm. is not, that's not a societal, that is a, that's a mentality you've actually created in me that causes not only dependence, but a complete lack of development for me as an individual, which only permeates throughout society as a whole. And that is not freedom. That is not liberty. That's oppression. Yeah. That's subjugation. Right. And, you know, I feel, I feel bad for, for a lot of these folks who are playing these oppression Olympics uh, they're, you know, they're putting them out on, on just willfully putting everything out on social media like this and, and trying to call to the, to the fact that they're oppressed. Um, there was a post, I didn't bookmark it. It was on Twitter. It was, it was quite disturbing. This young black woman goes on, went on this diatribe, like 20 tweets in a row about how, terrible, disgusting, oppressive white people are and telling them how they're, they're racist. They'll always be racist. They should strive to not be racist, but they'll never be able to achieve uh, the, a state of clear where they're not racist at all. And so they have to, you know, and it was just this, a bunch of just quite frankly, sadness. Right. And, and I think, why should anybody hire you? Now, I know we can't, I know it's technically, it technically, right? Technically it is illegal to hire somebody on the basis of skin color or sexual preference or race, creed, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, it's not necessarily illegal to pass on somebody because they just don't fit in with the culture that of the company that we're trying to promote. So well, if we're trying to promote one culture, I can easily say, or somebody can easily say, Hey, you know what? You're very antagonistic as an individual. I don't want to bring somebody into my organization who's antagonizing and who's going to no. be a problem that that is perfectly acceptable based on just based on no their behavior on social, on social media. And I think there are many people, and even if, you know, you might make it past the, the, you know, you might be the top 20, I may not even decide, I, I say me, but it's not necessarily me. I'm just using the proverbial eye. I may not want to even entertain interviewing you. If oh, I know no. that you have kind of this crazy ideology that no. is just insano, why would I even want to entertain the idea of, of interviewing you? I'll just pass on you right now. Yeah. And there are a variety of people that are, that are, that will say that. Yeah, about absolutely. These individuals. That's, I can tell 
tell you, I, I ran a business up here for quite a long time and hired and fired people. That is an HR nightmare waiting to happen. It's, it's a nightmare that waiting potentially to potentially in my entire business. Right. Why would I want to openly invite that? I, mean, I don't if, care if it's a male, female, black, white, brown. Color, I, I don't care. Um, right. No way. I mean, why would no I way. want to bring somebody in? And, why would you want to, why would anybody, why would anybody want to bring somebody into their organization who is so angry about racism, right? And who, who looks at everybody, who looks at every white person as being a terrible person and with the risk and run the risk that, you know what, if they don't get their way, if they get passed over, if they don't get a promotion in time based on their on their timeline, or even if they just, even if a decision just doesn't go their way, because the, uh, the, a white manager says, well, I like your idea, but I'm not going to do that right now, maybe later, or no, that's not a good idea because of X, Y, and Z. Well, who's to say that that person's not going to turn around and file some, make some kind of racist claim. Exactly. And they, well, they were, they didn't like my idea because I I'm yep. black. Why would anybody in their right mind want to bring, want to introduce that kind of toxicity into their organization? And, and yeah, people might say, well, that's racist. You can't be saying that. Well, I'm not doing that. I don't run yeah. an organization where I'm making that kind of a decision. I'm asking the question, why would any other person out there in the world even entertain that knowing that that exists on the horizon? And I, so I right. think it's sad well, for and these people. Go ahead. It well, it is, and I I think it's it for our society. It's worse, and for our our freedoms and liberty. This is this is where I fear we are going to do this to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about um, when you give something up, whether it's you know I don't care. You know, oh I don't need this pen anymore. Right. I have three. Three is too many. I only need two. I'm going to throw this pen away. There's a li- you get that immediate sense of, of liberation. It's very liberating to be able to toss that away. That's freedom. When we as a society, we, we've gotten to a point now where we've become so susceptible to trying to be inclusive and open and non-oppressive and all, the, and so just accepting of all of this bullshit that what we do is actually pull the walls in of our lives down in on ourselves. We actually shackle ourselves up to all these additional rules and regulations on our own lives. We are giving up our freedoms and liberties by allowing these kind of things to overtake our daily abilities to survive. This is the kind of stuff that chips away at our freedoms and liberties, not just as Americans, but as human beings to where we can't act because all of these things have a negative outcome or negative connotation to what we do. There's nothing liberating about any of this. It's all constrictive on what we can't do, can't say how we can't act, etc. All of those things limit our freedoms, they don't liberate us as human beings or as a society or as people. This is it's one of the biggest reasons why I absolutely reject all of that stuff. If you want to be 
LGBTQ, you know, the he, they, this, that, the, you want to self-associate as a rabbit. I don't care. Go for it. That's your right. You're free. Your choice. You do you. Do not make your life choice, your decision, your freedoms become my problem and right. my responsibility. Right. That's where your choice infringes on my freedom and liberty. That's the line in the sand you don't cross and out of, and I don't cross that either. You know, that's where we need to be able to have that mutual respect for one another as human beings. When I was growing up in, in a Hispanic family, uh, we never, nobody in my family ever said that we were Mexican Americans. We were, it was, we, we recognized that we were of Hispanic descent, but everybody in my family always referred to themselves as being American. And, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older and I got out of that, that family circle, that tight little family circle and started getting, you know, out into the world, like in high school and things. And I started running into people that called themselves African-Americans and Mexican-Americans and all these, you know, these hyphenated um, descriptors about themselves. And I always thought that was very strange. Uh, when I, when we talk about it now, it's, it's, it was, it's a shorthand for people to show how they're oppressed, how, how they have some kind of roots to oppression. Um, you never hear about African Canadians. You never hear about African British. Uh, you never hear about uh, Mexican Chinese um, or Mexican Italians. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks like that in other countries. We only nope. do that here. We, we're not we don't become, if I were to move to Japan, I wouldn't refer to myself as a Mexican Japanese or, you know, uh, I would simply be an American living in Japan. Right. And if I earn right. citizenship in Japan, well, then I would be Japanese, but obviously not by descent, mm -hmm. but I would be a, a member of the Japanese country. If I became a citizen, if I became a citizen of Japan, I, I don't know how I would become a citizen of Japan, but let's say for all intents and purposes, I did, right? Well, then I'm technically, I'm Japanese, right? But right. we're the only, we're the only country, or at least the only country that I'm aware of where we attach race to the country or the, the country itself. Um, we, we, in America, we think of Japanese people. We think of that as a race of a race of people. It's also a country, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, but you know, I don't see African Japanese or Africa. I'm sure that they, they exist. I'm sure there are black people in Japan. They do. Um, yep. And I'm, I know there are black people in England, but they're not African there, British. There's a high um, uh, concentration of, of mm -hmm. black people in England. Right. They just consider themselves English British. Or British, or, yes, or English. I mean, yeah. well, and it's and as they should, as they should. In, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people here who, who say that uh, that we don't have our own culture because we're a melting pot of all these we other do. cultures, and so America doesn't have its own culture. I go, you're just absolutely bonkers. We do have um, our own America. Absolutely does have its own culture. I think we actually now especially like to chip away at being american 
and have to divvy it all up into these subgroups because it's it's easier for us to manipulate a little bit of them um, here and there, which is just disgusting to me. Um, and I, if if we want to be able to recognize our own culture as Americans, then we have to lose our hyphens. And I've said we this do. before. Yeah, lose do. the hyphens. We're all Americans. And there's something wonderful and beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. Love it. Embrace it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people out there say, well, Jason, you're, you're white. So of course you could feel that. Well, what the hell does that matter? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I could go along and call myself an Anglo-American. Well, that's just bizarre. Don't you think? Or a German American, right? Maybe even a Polish American, I guess, if you really want to get, I mean, I'm probably more Polak than I am. What the heck is that? I'm, I'm American. Just like you, just like 99.9% .9 of the people that are, that might actually listen to this far through this whole episode, <laughs> um, are American too. There's no reason for you to segregate yourself outside of that. Unless I, there's, there's really no benefit to that. There was a, a few years ago, I was working with a gentleman. He's He was from India. I, I shouldn't say in the past tense. I worked with him in the past tense, but but he's still alive and kicking and he's here in the United States. Um, and we got to talking and I was asking, I was really interested in life back in India for him, what it was like. And I was interested in why he came to the United States. And so he was really happy to share all that with me. He's like, you know, nobody really asked me that question. So, you know, he was telling me about what it was like in India and growing up there and uh, what life is like to live in the cities there and everything. And, and I said, I asked him, you know, what he was doing when he came over, you know, how he came over to the United States. And he said that he had just started grad school and he, his number got picked, I guess a lot of folks in India will, you know, they, they get on, on board with, um, like a, a company that does like contractual work with companies here in the United States. And you're basically on a wait list and you might do some work for them, but that we would consider to be offshore workers. But it's at some point your number could be picked, right? They'll just say, Hey, we need, we need a few people to go. And this company's gonna, you know, they want they want some fo some folks. We can send you. So now your time has come up. So he was telling me that he had just started grad school. He was about six months into his grad school, if I remember correctly. And he said his name was picked to to come to the United States and work. And so he quit grad school and he came. Wow. And you know, at the time, I was kind of taken aback by that. And I said, I said, well, but why did you quit grad school? Why not just yeah. finish grad school first? And he, he, the way he looked at me was really, you know, was really interesting. He looked at me and he said, he said, Manuel, this is the greatest country. Of course, I was going to come as soon as I had the opportunity to come. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I love immigrants like you who want to be here, not, who want to become an American. And now he's an American. He actually went through the whole process and, and, um, you know, God earned his citizenship and everything and, you know, took the oath and blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so he, he is an American and he doesn't consider himself an Indian American. He just, he's an American. Well, and no, he, that's, that's a badge he worked for. Oh yeah. It's an opportunity. He yeah. gets to wear that now. Right. Uh, yeah. And 
the inter- you know i i can see where because my first reaction was like quit grad school what? right i was like why did well, you do that and you me and i think most people we grew up here we lived right. here right. we were born here we have no friggin clue yeah what how we are look i mean we take this for granted we do we take what we have or have had up to this point for granted and we don't understand how anybody else could want like he did to give up grad school or anything else to come here just for the opportunity to be here and make something greater of himself. And, and he left his entire family. He was, you know, he was a young guy at the time. He wasn't, he didn't have, he, he didn't have a family of his own. He wasn't married at the time or anything. And, but he had you know, mom, dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. that were still in India. And when his name came, he was like, I'm going. Yeah. And he, he came with the, basically the clothes on his back and a duffel bag and, you know, and, and started here. Um, and now he's quite successful and, you know, all that, but more power to him. But on the other hand, I think, what are we, are we destroying our own culture country and making it so that people like him who came over here for a specific thing, now it's changed or it's changing and is it changing into something that is no longer that great country that he wanted to come to at some point we're going to kill it we're going to just it's it's going to be a shot i think it's already a shadow of its former glory but it's only going to get become more and more of a shadow of its former glory right and so at what point does it stop becoming that place that people want to get to we have I mean, we have people that, you know, we have people from Cuba who would risk floating from Cuba to Florida on a raft. And and I don't even mean like a decent raft. I literally mean like a plank of wood. We have people that are willing to escape communist Cuba to try to get to the United States. Um, We don't have people that are willing to risk floating on a car door from Florida to Cuba. We don't have people doing it the opposite direction. Right. Um, and, but, at, but at some point we're going to reach, we're going to change fundamentally change the country so much that this is no longer going to be that land of opportunity and everything. And people are going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably better off staying where I am. I don't need to get to America. And that, I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. I certainly hope not, but yeah, I you know, too. I weep for those people that have gone through hell to get here and who want to become an American who want to be a part of this culture that we have here and who want to literally embrace, they don't want to be a Mexican American or an Indian American. They want to just simply be an American and that's it. But at some point we're going to, we're going to change it so much that they're going to lose that. They're going to lose the reasons for why they came here in the first place. Nope. And I, and I, and it is changing. It is absolutely changing. And, And I think the last, well, at least the last 10 to 12 years, it's changed dramatically. Um, and I caution everyone out there that the more that you willingly, our freedoms as Americans is not going to be taken by force. I, I've said this before, um, I think over and over, you and I, I think, disagree on this one a little bit. <laughs> um, our freedoms will not be taken from us by force. We will willingly give them up and we are continually doing so every day and the more i guess open and the more accepting we are of the quote-unquote new norms 
that are out there, the more accepting we are with the the social norms that have, are, are just sprouting up left and right. And the more isms we put in front of somebody names or the more proper pronouns we add here or there. And the more that we accept that as normal, the more of those freedoms we give up every single day and every single moment to, until we have nothing left. And at that point, Nobody's going to be trying to risk the ocean or the borders of the desert to come here. And we may for the first time start seeing people trying to traverse those areas to leave. Yeah, well, hopefully we're not there yet. And hopefully we can turn things around or at least, if nothing else, kick the can further down the road. <laughs> God willing, hopefully we can actually course correct. And and I, I think it's going to take, it's not going to come from any leadership. Yeah, that's certain. It will not come from the leadership. It will take the voices of the masses of human beings in this country to say enough is enough. So um, next time, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Season four, turning things around. Turning oh, things turn around. Turn a new leaf. Go ahead. All yeah. right. But I, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking about a conversation around religion. Okay. Now we've talked about a religion a little bit, mm -hmm. so you may have something a little bit more specific in mind. Are you? Yeah. The purpose of religion. What, what is it good for? Uh, okay. And, and what is it, what is it, what does it mean for people to people and, um, and does it have value? Does religion have value in today's world? So I think it'll, I think it'll be an interesting discussion, but I need to preface that because we may have a special guest next time. We may, um, we've got to get that set up and I don't, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag quite yet. I don't but, either. Uh, okay. But, uh, I, if, if we end up having a special guest, I'm really looking forward to the special guest. Um, I want to make sure that we get, if, if it's not the next one, it'll probably, it may be the one after, uh, hopefully one this month. Um, we're trying to get all that worked out. Um, but, uh, I'm really excited for, for this. I think it'll be a fun episode. I think it'll be good for everybody, even if it's uh, nothing you're familiar with. So, yeah, I think it'll definitely be entertaining because he's yeah. a, he's a pretty cool dude. It yes, is. Oh, well, it's at least we let half the bag out, half the cat out of the bag is a guy. It, it's a guy. Okay. Yeah. We ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as always, you can find all of our stuff online. We have our, our website where you can find all of our links to uh, YouTube and all of our audio podcasts, uh, fusionunderground.net. So you can catch everything there. You can send us email at contact at Fusion Underground. Uh, we're on Twitter and what's the parlor. Mm -hmm. So just do a search for Fusion Underground. You'll find us out there um, on Twitter. We're at FU Brothers. So you can find it. You catch us catch our our tweets um on youtube this video will be up on youtube come tuesday so you can find all of our all of our youtube videos out there on youtube just search for fusion underground we pop up or the first one that pops up now yep. um so yeah on behalf of jason yeah. moret i'm manuel ramirez and you've been listening to the fusion fusion underground peace out everybody happy, happy new year <laughs>